Turn in your Bibles with me to Peter's first letter to some believers who are scattered from their homes, forced to move hundreds of miles away and starting over again. Who's ever moved a long distance? That is not easy, especially if you don't have a car, you just got donkeys or your own feet, and you're having to get rid of stuff and having to start over again in a new community, and they don't know the language. They're not just moving to another state. They're moving to another country, and uh, it's three three countries in northern Turkey where the people are living that he's writing to encourage them. All right. Verse 1 through 11, he says, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, he's talking about Jesus' resurrection, and now he's drawn an example from Christ suffering for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind, the same attitude. Hebrews 12 says that Jesus suffered. He endured the cross for the joy set before him, despising the shame. So he didn't enjoy the cross. He endured the cross. But then he enjoyed what was to come. So for the joy set before us, sometimes we have to suffer. Sometimes we have to go through things. We endure before we enjoy. And so it is sometimes in marriage. Sometimes you endure one another as you're growing in your relationship, learning what it takes to be a couple, to die to self, to a happy marriage, just two funerals and one resurrection. Who knows that's true? You endure for you enjoy. And so we're told, as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, we're to arm ourselves also with the same mind. For, here's why, he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Suffering can reduce the sin in your life to the point you're stopping it, you know? You touch the hot stove, it burns you, guess what you stop doing? You stop touching the hot stove, right? That he no longer, that's us, should live in the rest of his time in the flesh for the, flus, for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough, let's say enough, enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles or the the heathen, the unbelievers, when we walked in lewdness, lusts, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable, the word there, abominable, is illegal, idolatry. So that includes getting high. In regard to these, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation or excessive waste, speaking evil of you. You know, you don't run around with those you used to run around with and party like you used to. They'll speak evil of you, literally blaspheme you because they don't understand. Call you a hypocrite and remind you of your past, try to bring you back to it. But have no fear. They, verse 11, will give an account to him who's ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. Now, there's kind of three takes, three interpretations of this. One connects it to people uh, who were in prison or in Hades, uh, who heard the gospel, paradise, they heard the gospel, and Jesus led captivity captive and took them on into heaven where Lazarus was. Another take on it is 
uh, people heard the gospel. They're now dead, but they've already gone on to heaven because they heard the gospel and believed. Another take on it, which is mine, um, we are all born in sin. The Bible says we are all spiritually dead. We're born in trespasses and sin. So we're dead. So that, therefore, the gospel is preached to us all. And those who believe will live according to God in the Spirit. Those who don't will be judged. So look at it again. For this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. Verse 11, But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious or be sober and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. How does love cover a multitude of sins? Does it look the other way when sin happens? Is it a cover-up? No, that would be corrupt. But love covers a multitude of sin in that when you see someone sinning, you go to that person and out of love speak your concern and you don't broadcast it to the world. You don't go to Facebook and say, you'll never guess what I saw Billy Bob doing. Don't do that. Love, because you love someone, you don't want to spread their shame. See, see what that means? Love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Literally, be fond of guests. It, this is more than having company to your house. This is letting people move in and live with you for a while because they've come from another country and they need help getting started. So taking people in, entertaining strangers without grumbling because it's not easy. I recommend if you do take someone in that they know the time period in which they are allowed to stay at your house. I tell people this all the time. And for 25 years, most of them do not listen to me. They just don't because, oh, I'm just so full of the love of God and they move with emotion. The person living in your house needs an end date to work towards. Whether it's two months or three months, that's enough time to get a healthy human being moving. Uh, our church used to own a little house, I wish we still had one, where we allowed people who were between homes or homeless to live. Now, it was out in the middle of nowhere. You had to have a car to live there. And uh, we let them live there rent-free, utility-free, even though the utilities were on, for two months with a mercy month we never told them about in case they needed it. Okay, one more month, but then you got to be gone. And we helped a lot of people, and only twice were we burned. Somebody moved a dog in that tore the place up, and somebody else left the place trash. But the majority of people, 95% of the people we helped, we had this place for several years, took advantage of it and are going and blowing and going today. So if you're going to help somebody, give them an end date. That's something for them to work towards. And you also need something to work towards. When are they going to be gone? Well, we told them two months. All right, got three more weeks. Okay. Because what happens is one day the host wakes up and can't take it no more and just throws a person out on the street without warning. Oh, I would never do that. Oh, yes, you would. There's things you don't know yet that you will learn by experience from your guests. And, and then that person feels betrayed because they weren't warned. So you need, I'm telling this to somebody, you need an end date. You need to be hospitable. You need to take people in your home, especially if you've got rooms. 
If, if, you know, if you're home, if you're traveling, obviously you can't do things like that. But use your home. Use the things God's given you to help somebody. But have a time period in which you're helping them. And in two months, if they still slacken, then put them out on the street and don't even look back, and they don't have a leg to stand on to complain to anybody. So, all right, that's not the sermon. I'll leave it alone. All right, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Verse 10, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold, or that is the varied, who knows there's a variety of people in the church, as of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, any, any people talk? Let him speak as the oracles of God. Speak as though you're speaking for God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever, that is perpetually, Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I just ask you to speak to us today from your word as we, as we home in on these verses, especially verse 1, that we would grow thereby. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're speaking today on the subject, we can benefit from suffering. Tell somebody that. Even if you don't believe it, tell them that. We can benefit from suffering. You can. Now, why didn't I say will? Because some people don't. They suffer, 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 don't learn a thing from it, don't grow from it, don't, don't gain anything from it. They're just stuck in their life and bitter about the whole world. Unless you're willing to change, you're not going to grow in Christ, and suffering's not going to do you any good except just make you bitter. So get ready for some bitterness in your life. My point is hopefully you can see the benefits that can come from suffering and that we change our tune and we begin to grow in ways we wouldn't grow otherwise. Suffering can show us our own ungodliness. You ever hit your thumb with a hammer or kick your shin on a table and something comes out of your mouth that maybe you hadn't said in years? Oh, blankety blank. Star sign, number sign, point, 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 exclamation point, upside down, question mark. Where did that come from? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It was in there somewhere, and it came out. It can bring you to a fresh level of repentance. Oh, Lord, purify my heart. I give my life to you again. Cleanse me. Suffering can show us where we really are. Well, I thought the suffering made me cuss. No, suffering doesn't make you cuss. You cuss because you suffer. You, you cuss because the cussing is in you. All right, no condemnation, though. All right, verse 20 of chapter 2, Peter said, For what credit is it if, when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. I tell you, where you really see what's inside you isn't when you kick your shin or hammer your thumb. It's when you are punished for doing something good. Sometimes it seems like no good deed goes unpunished. The person you help just, you know, spits in your face. That hurts. That's where you get to identify with Jesus the most. How are you going to respond to that? That's what's commendable. Suffering can teach us how not to live, you know. Burn your hand on the stove, you learn not to be messing with the stove 
inappropriately. Verse 17 of chapter 3, he wrote, For it is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. It's better to pay your ticket than to not pay it and have it turn into a warrant. Well, how is paying my ticket doing good? Well, unless the county is corrupt, they use that money to help keep the place safe, (laughs) help keep the streets safe, improved, and the speeds down. If there were no speed limits, I'd be afraid to drive, wouldn't you? It's dangerous enough as it is with them, right? And so if you get caught, you get busted, you get fined, don't be resentful. Go ahead and pay that thing. You're doing good and you're suffering. Yes, you are. But you don't. It's going to turn into a warrant in the most inconvenient day of your life. Maybe your wedding day. There you are in jail calling the bondsman. Number three, suffering can instruct us. It can teach us and instruct us on how to live. We read this, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. He's learned some things about sin and doesn't want to do it anymore. That he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. Suffering can show us how to live. It can show us how to drive. This overpass is in Durham, North Carolina. It's called the Northern Southern, Norfolk Southern, Gregson Street Overpass. It's also known as the Can Opener Bridge by those who ignore the 11-foot-8 sign. com is a site you can go to where you can watch this happen dozens of times. It happens about once a month. There's two cameras on it because every time this happens, the railway has to shut down the road and go out and see if there needs to be any repairs. And the people um, who have the disappointment of having a wrecked vehicle on their hands will be billed for the expense the railway company goes through to run these tests and repairs. 
So the suffering they, see, they receive is far greater than what you see on the video. Who can say with, who would agree with me that if this happened to you, you would not be driving without observing the height signs, right? You would receive instruction from your suffering. Suffering can change our selfish values. Verse 7 reminds us that the end of all things is at hand. And, and if Peter was living towards the end of everything, you know we are. This is the last of the last days. Therefore, be serious or sober and watchful in your prayers. There's nothing like suffering that causes our prayers to come alive. And when we pray, the Lord speaks to us the most clearly, I think, or we're able to tune into his voice the most clearly. Maybe he's speaking clearly, but we're not listening as intently as we do when we suffer. We get on our face and pray, Lord, where have I done this? Or where have I opened the door? Or I need your help. And uh, who have I done, done like this? And it brings cleansing to our life it, because it messes with our values. The things that used to be really important aren't so important anymore because now we've got a taste of what real suffering is. Number five, suffering can develop our empathy level. Uh, you know, sometimes we have no empathy for the suffering of others till we've suffered. Sometimes. Some people naturally have empathy, but some of us just have none. And... Uh, Go through a little suffering, suddenly you realize what it feels like. You know, if you're a poor tipper, it's probably because you've never worked for tips. Leave that one alone. Above all things, verse 8, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Someone is sinning and they're going to suffer as a consequence. Remember, your nose wasn't always so clean. Have some mercy. Let your empathy come out. This is Cornerstone Fellowship in Central City, which is a, a community that's part of Baker, Louisiana, which is in the greater Baton Rouge area. Three weeks ago, they could not have church because their members couldn't get to their meeting place under floodwaters. Forty families that are part of this congregation have homes that experienced flooding. Forty families instantly had houses that weren't fit to live in. This has happened hundreds, you know, over 100,000 times to people in Louisiana. Can you imagine 40 of our families suddenly being homeless? What would we do as a congregation? Oh, they're meeting. You can listen to, listen to their services online. They're really special times together. I spoke to the pastor. He's a friend of mine. He's Dick Metz. Uh, Dick preached here during our first year of existence as, as we were forming as a congregation. Uh, he was one of the guest speakers who came to see if God was calling him to Granbury. And uh, a couple years later, he felt called to go to Baker and become pastor of this group. He's been there for over 23 years. He told me, Alan, nobody's complaining about the things they used to complain about. We have people that used to get upset if the air was on 74. Not anymore. He says, I'm praying two things. I'm praying that we get as much mileage out of this suffering that we can get. And I'm praying that we never forget what we've learned. And we are thankful. 65 Mennonites came to town, and they've got all 40 homes gutted, 
plus 20 of their relatives. So it's becoming an outreach. And now they're ready to start sheetrocking because the homes are already dried out. Um, yeah. And these people are suffering. I mean, um, if you don't have flood insurance, and he said their people didn't because they weren't in the flood zone. But what happened when the flooding happened, the river decided to cut a new tributary. And even though the water level weren't so high to go through their area, it would, was going through houses, these new tributaries. And he was grateful that it missed their church. So suffering has a way of showing us what problems really are that can make us more loving to people with their issues. Number six, suffering can multiply our ministries. You know, for there to be ministry, there's got to be two things. There's got to be provision and there's got to be need. When the provision meets the need, ministry happens. And so with the multiplication of needs comes a multiplication of ministries. In Acts chapter 5 or 6, when the widows were being neglected, new ministries were formed based on the multiplication of needs. And seven men of God got raised up to help oversee that part of the ministry. So it is here in the church. If you see needs that aren't getting met, guess what? There's ministries that are going to be formed. And if God's speaking in your heart, speaking to your heart about doing something about those, come talk to us and we'll team you up with other people because it's important that we do these things as teams to help meet needs. As each one has received a gift, verse 10, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold or multivaried grace of God. Once again, this Wednesday, by this Wednesday evening, if you've got any goods that, that are listed on that piece of paper, it's a two-sided thing in your bulletin, by all means, get it here to us as quick as you can. If nobody's here, by all means, just leave it here. Some, leave it here at the front door. I, you know, I don't want to see stuff get stolen, but call us and make sure that we're here so we can get it in out of doors. And we'll be loading the truck on Thursday. If you'd like to help with that, call the church office and we'll tell you what time to be here to help that happen because we're going to haul it there on Friday. All right, number seven, suffering can empower our testimonies. I mean, think of some of the most powerful testimonies you, you've heard or have. It, somehow it's related to suffering and what God did to help remedy, redeem the situation. In verse 11, Peter wrote, If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies. And in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Sometimes there's a, such a, a daunting need in front of you. You don't know how you can do it, but you step out in faith and trust God, and he, he allows you to bring home the bacon. He uses you. He multiplies your loaves of bread and your meager fish. He uses you to help meet needs. And so it is, in times of suffering, we've got to keep in mind that our words are very important. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God or as the, as the mouthpiece of God. Speak as though you're representing God. So many times we do the opposite. When we're suffering, what happens? Man, we... We can be a complainer just like the world. In our early days as newlyweds, uh, Yvette and I learned a real lesson from someone 
on how to conquer complaining in our home. Now, by what I'm about to say, I'm not saying become a plastic Christian. Obviously, if you're having problems, tell somebody, get some help. You know, don't go through struggles alone. But when we complain, we magnify our problems. So to help one another, keep one another accountable, when one of us would whine about something, the other one would say, I believe you're a prophet, and everything you say shall come to pass. Woo! Yvette would say it to me, and I would say it to her. I believe you're a prophet, and everything you say shall come to pass. Not saying that we're prophets, but the principle is there. If we speak, if you have a voice, use it for God. Okay, I'm going to speak positive, but I'm going to let him have it on Facebook. You're missing the point. If you post something on Facebook, post for God, as though you were God posting something. I think you got the point. I'll hush. Number eight, suffering can help us identify with our Lord. He suffered for us. Listen to this. Later on in the same chapter, Peter writes, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to, to the degree that you share in the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exultation. Who wants to share in the glory of Jesus? Well, we get to share in his suffering as well. And what will that do? It'll make the glory that much more glorious. You know, if you've ever not eaten for several days, oh, what a joy that first meal is, right? So it is with suffering. When we come out on the other side and we're redeemed or the situation has changed, we realize how great life is. Suffering can prepare us for judgment day. Later on, Peter writes, let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? So rain falls on the just and the unjust, Sometimes we go through the same suffering the world does. Sometimes we go through more suffering than unbelievers do. God's judgment's coming. And we're promised here it starts in God's house. So if somebody told you, oh, get saved and you won't have any more problems, they lied to you. Sorry about that. Please forgive that person. Look at verse 16. If anyone suffers as a Christian, this is more than just suffering because you're a Christian. The word Christian was a, like, a, like a racial slur, like being called a bastard or being called useless. It was a name that people said with an intent to hurt. If you're being called a Christian, glorify God in this matter. Boy, hadn't God turned some things around now? Now people who aren't Christians want to be called Christians. But I can see some things happening in the world where it's becoming a slur again. And if that happens to you, glorify God 
Lord, I thank you that I'm able to identify with your suffering, that I'm counted worthy like they did in Acts 4. Rejoice that you're able to suffer for his name. My final point is suffering can make us depend upon God. Maybe you're an independent person, you're a self-made man, you don't want to depend on anybody. There can come such suffering in life that you have to depend upon someone. All I need is you, Lord. And the Lord may bring some people in our life that we can depend upon. And we grow in our character and our humility becomes a reality. Therefore, let those who suffer, verse 19, according to the will of God, commit their souls or their lives, their spiritual being to him, their entire self to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. The word there, commit, means to present, to deposit, to place alongside. Given him your life. If you're suffering according to the will of God, commit your life to God. Because all those that are his are not going to fail. You're going to succeed. Resurrection's going to come somehow in your life. Can we pray? Lord, I thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, that you would encourage those here today who are suffering injustice. I pray, Lord, that they would identify with you and that they would grow through this. Well, we know without your word, none of us can grow. Suffering can just make us bitter. But, Lord, with your word, we can gain the right perspective. Help us, Lord, to perceive things from your viewpoint and to grow in this situation and to rejoice in the fact that all things are going to work together. The story's just not over. We give thanks in all things, even though all things are not thankworthy. We give thanks because you're part of the picture. And, Lord, I pray for that person or persons who are suffering for evil. I pray, Lord, that the promise that those who suffer in the flesh shall cease from sin, I pray, Lord, that that would be a reality in their life, Lord, that they would learn from the burn, that they would gain from the pain. they would heal from the hurt and Lord that they would learn to let go of that stuff Lord addictions work like that the thing that medicates the pain actually causes the pain and maybe there's someone here they're not learning from their pain because of an addiction a helpless cycle I pray Lord that that person or persons would see that it's only by totally committing their life to you And to your will will freedom come. And Lord, I pray for that person that's suffering that doesn't know if it's their fault. Maybe they've told it's their fault. Lord, that's not the point. The point is we give you our life. And so, Lord, I pray that your wisdom would come. And whatever the reason is, Lord, that we would entrust you with our life. Our life is yours to have. And Lord, I pray for those of us that aren't suffering so much that we can't help someone. I pray, Lord, you give us a level of empathy that motivates us to do something good for somebody. That, Lord, we would, we would do what you would have us to do to help meet needs in the lives of others that are suffering.